0: be today. Uh, Last week, we got a little behind, so I'm going to finish last week's sermon, and then I'm going to pull out uh, one major point for you. So I'm going to lay it all out as we walk through because there's history and information at the front, and then there's application that comes with it. So I'm going to give you the application first, which is where are we focusing Okay, because I'm going to show you in the life of Daniel. Can you think of a godlier person besides Jesus Christ? Can you think of a godlier example of a human man than Daniel? Just off the top of your head, can you think about Joseph? That's a pretty good one, right? Especially as he matured out of his, uh, his teenage insanity, right? You don't, you don't tell your brothers uh, that they're going to bow down before you and not expect there to be ramifications. Uh, so yes, once Joseph got a little wisdom under him, he is a godly, godly example. Moses, Elijah, but when it comes to the life of Daniel, you and I have read this story verse by verse, and we have seen almost nothing in there that you could point to his character and say something's wrong, like this guy is a godly man in the midst of uh, tremendous uh, issues brought in as a slave, right, in exile, brought into this kingdom as a slave, trained up like he's pushing back against all the forces of nebuchadnezzar and babylon initially thank god he had a small group of brothers that were there the four of them right that we know about now he had those people around him to help navigate those years and you better believe they were working together that they were godly influences together but he switches kingdoms another kingdom comes in and he's still there and so from teenage years all the way up as an elder statesman we see daniel be and do godly things But when we talk about this morning of where our focus is, I want to show you one of the pieces in the Daniel story that as I've read through it, has just it's really just kind of stopped me in my tracks. At the end of chapter 7, we saw it a couple weeks ago in just one verse. When we read chapter 8 today, you and I are going to see it again. And I want to show you this pattern because I want to show you how it applies to our life today. So chapter 6, what do we talk about? We talked about the idea of Daniel's faith. The biggest piece in there is that it is consequential. His faith matters. Unlike many Christians that you and I interact with daily and God help us, it better not be one of us. And if it is, it better come with speedy repentance. When we deal with the idea of being a Christian, most of the people you and I deal with, we would say there's no consequence to their faith. Would you agree or disagree? It doesn't change their life. It doesn't navigate a direction. It doesn't help them make decisions from parenting to, to money, to where they spend their time. What they, it has no consequence. Daniel's faith is polar opposite. It is consequential. It changes things. It creates things. It creates friction. It creates blessing. His faith matters. It matters in his life, and you and I are talking about him here today because it matters in our life too. God has given him to us as an example, and we should be so thankful for that. Chapter 6, that what we, that's what we see. Chapter 7, what do we talk about? We talked about purpose and the glory of prophecy. To miss the point of prophecy is to miss its power. Prophecy is not a good show that's something really cool. Prophecy is an idea to draw you and I into. There is a God who has written the future, not history. There's a God that's written the future. And just to show off, He'll tell us about it. The book you and I are reading is Daniel. We're going to talk about things today that happened hundreds of years after Daniel has died. And yet God has written, not the past, the future. And he tells Daniel a little bit about it. So that we can point to Daniel? No, so that we can point to God. The God that Daniel serves. Right? We see his courage last week. We talked about his courage. His hope is anchored in settled truths. Friends, his courage comes from living out that faith, but that faith is based in truth. It's based in things that are real, delivered to him by the God of the universe. And so that when he digs his heels in against Nebuchadnezzar, against Darius, against others, as he digs his heels in, he has something to put them on. He is dug into truth, not his truth, the truth. You and I have that same opportunity. You will be thrown about every day, left and right, banged on, beat on at work, at school, everywhere you go. When you flip on the TV, they're going to knock you about by other truths, someone else's truth. That's not the case with Daniel. He is attached to the truth, and because of that, he is unshakable. You and I need to find ourselves in that position. If you're not there yet, you have to get there very quickly. The world wants to give you their truth. Your friends wants to give you their truth. It used to be 20 or 30 years ago, like the insanity that we're living in right now. Let me tell you where that started. When somebody stepped in and said, well, you just live your truth and I'll live my truth. Like that's where this started. And everybody that had their hair on fire the first time they heard that statement, everybody else looked at and thought, you're an idiot. You're crying, wolf. This stuff is never going to happen. Now they're putting litter boxes in high schools so that kids can live their truth. What? I thought their truth wasn't supposed to hit mine. Now they're letting boys run with girls in track meets, and let's see who wins so that they can live their truth. Like, they're going to beat some of the boys. Most of them would beat me. But the idea is that's not true. It's not real life. It's not how you and I are to function. And the first person, the first time somebody said, well, you just live your truth and I'll live mine and it'll be okay. No, it can't be okay because we're trying to build a community. If my neighbors live in their truth and they steal my mower, I have to talk to them. Right? Just live in their truth. Looked nice. Your garage door was up. I borrowed it. And then I sold it. Right? It was a quick transaction. Made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Listen, this kind of stuff is based off of the idea that there is no truth that is foundational for you and for me anymore. You can't have a society where that's the case. What you and I are dealing with right now is just the grumblings of that. The early warning signs of the chaos to come. You can't live in a community that doesn't have some kind of foundational or overarching idea of truth and morality. We will never be a society. It's like me and my wife trying to live in the same house, but morally we're going other directions. What usually happens? It's not hard. This is common sense. Daniel's courage is based in his truth. He's living his faith in that truth. He is walking that road. His purpose is exposed by what? Living the truth by asking God, begging God, show me what you want me to do today, Lord. Amen. No, it's by getting up and living out the truths that he already knows. You and I have enough meat in the New Testament to take you till the day that you die. And you never have to pray for God's will. What's your will, Lord? Just get up. And do what you know to do is right. And the Holy Spirit will move you, manipulate you, prod you. Sometimes it will be because your car don't start. What he wants you to do that day is be late. What he wants you to do that day is to run into that person that you wouldn't have seen. What he wants you to do that day is to have that conversation with your boss that maybe you've not talked to in forever because you had to. His courage is revealed in giving truth. He gives truth to people that don't want it, from culturally uh, to to very specific people. Daniel's whole life is doling out truth to people that really don't want it. Once they accept it, though, they get blessed. That's amazing, isn't it? He's living a long time and blessing a lot of people, not because he's shying away or trying to be like them, but because he is wanting to honor his Lord, and it is working nebuchadnezzar's life is different because he knows daniel is that not an amazing thought the king of the world this this vicious individual whatever else has an interaction with daniel this godly godly man and his life has changed his life is different and there is a possibility that you and i may meet him one day in heaven would that not blow your mind almost like the roman soldier that ran the the spear through Jesus' side and running into him one day in heaven Like, what happened? He's like, man, I did this. I I just did what I was supposed to do. I look up, the sky's dark, and I'm like, man, surely that was the Son of God. Like, something's way off. I probably shouldn't have done that, right? But I heard him talk to the thief beside him, and he said I could be forgiven, so here I am. Got the gospel message off of Jesus on the cross with another thief that had nothing to offer. Can you imagine how good heaven is going to be? His blessing is constant in knowing the truth. His blessing, Daniel's blessing, is not getting out of the lion's den. Daniel's blessing or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Their blessing was not missing the fiery furnace. Their blessing was being with God the whole way up. In the furnace, there is a fourth. Daniel, in the lion's den, the Lord has sent his angel to shut their mouths. Like. That is the blessing of the Christian life. Why? Because one day your circumstances aren't going to allow you to understand God's blessing is always good things. Someday your circumstances are not going to allow you to acknowledge God's blessings as always being good things. Do you understand? Which means the blessing of God either is there in that moment or it is not. If it's there in that moment, it is the presence of the God of the universe with you in the mess. Look at chapter 8 with me. <clears throat> chapter 7, we talked about Daniel gets another vision. God walks him through these things yet again. They look different, but it is there. He's seen it once with Nebuchadnezzar and the, and the idol, right? Then he sees it again in chapter 7 with all of these beasts. And then what happens in chapter 8? In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Chapter 7 was in what year? Right? Year 1. Belshazzar is, is now reigning. Daniel gets this vision. Now we're in year what? So God has given this guy hard, hard truths. He's giving him a hard life to live, and yet he is confirming that on repeat. As this message is being doled out, as he is living this life, the Lord is affirming that on repeat. If he calls you to something hard, I want you to understand he will call you again. He will affirm that decision. He will confirm it. He will push you. He will prod you. He will not leave you on an island. He will give you glimpses of his glory and glimpses of the blessing you are being. Daniel, if you look at the end of chapter 7 with me, because that's a big part in the rest of where we're going. Chapter 7, verse 28 says, Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly what? Alarmed me. Right, And my color changed, and I kept the matter in my heart. What happens at the end of that passage? He is what? Sick. What he has seen has harmed him emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Some of you have dealt with things like that. You know exactly what he's talking about. This just comes in a vision of the future. Some of you have been harmed like this. Some spiritual manner has been handed to you, and it has changed your perspective. It has made you sick. That is the power of not only stress, but the power of the physical, the spiritual war that you and I uh, are partaking in. We just don't always see it. Like it's a cosmic thing you and I are going through right now. You get in the moment of, of loving on somebody, counseling them, hearing some hard things. Maybe you're dealing with somebody that's suicidal. Maybe you're dealing with somebody that's drug addicted. Maybe you're dealing with somebody that's sinning in some prolonged, repeated manner. And you just leave that moment and you're totally exhausted. You're borderline sick. You have engaged in something that was not physical. You've engaged in something that was totally spiritual, and the connection between your spirit and your body are so strong that it changes certain things. I mean, how bad is stress for us? Right? Cancer to the bones, right? It's what Scripture says, what Proverbs says. So in Daniel chapter 8, we go from the first year of Belshazzar's reign to the third year. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was at Ula Canal. I raised my eyes, and I saw, behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. What does that sound like? Remember the bear in the first... Chapter 7, the bear was raised up. Right, I don't know how to do it, if it was like this or if it was like that or what. But the bear was raised up on one side, so he's getting that same vision again. Okay, What happens with the idol, the second kingdom has two what? Arms, right? The torso of the idol has two arms. The, um, the bear in chapter 7 is raised up on one side. And now in chapter 8, the horns are of different size, meaning one of these kingdoms is a little stronger. Right, But one was higher than the other, and the higher one come up last. Most people think that is Persia. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. Another cool piece is, if you look at the uh, kingdom of Persia, I was looking up maps of ancient Persia. If you look at it, Persia like starts starts in the middle down low and kind of goes this way. There's no eastward expansion. Not much, anyway. It's a very neat thing to see. Why? Because it's being written out as it is in real life. These ancient maps show the truth of what God is speaking here. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward, not eastward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue uh, him from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. The thing missing in this passage in the third year of Belshazzar's reign is what kingdom? Babylon. Babylon. Because what's getting ready to happen to Babylon's kingdom? It's getting ready to be gone, right? It's not going to be there anymore. So God doesn't even put him in chapter eight. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and a goat uh, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns which I had been uh, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal and ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram and he enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. Horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken off, and instead of it, there came four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Who is that? Alexander the Great. Alexander the great. Right? aging goat and doesn't even touch the earth. How many years did it take him to conquer the world? Tenish. Tenish. Becomes king, early 20s, conquers the world, and by 33 he's dead. The goat with wings. What is he in the other passages? The what? The leopard. Leopard with wings, right? Remember, that's chapter seven. He looks like a leopard with wings. He's not even touching the earth, he is moving so fast. Look at verse uh, nine. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great, toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great, even to the host of heaven, and some of the host of sun and some of the stars. It threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host, and the regular uh, and trampled on them. Uh, Sorry, and the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary uh was overthrown, and a host will be given over to it together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression and it will be uh, it will will throw truth to the ground and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking. And another one, another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is this vision concerning the regular burnt offering and the transgression to make desolate and the getting over the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For twenty things and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful place. We are halfway through. He has now gotten the vision. Verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I, thought, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ula, and it called uh, and it called Gabriel make this man understand the vision what voice just called and who did it call to God's voice speaks to who Gabriel and to tell Daniel to what or, or tells Gabriel to tell Daniel what the meaning of the message the meaning of the vision so that's who's speaking now God is speaking to Gabriel. Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. Verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. Of course he did, right? But he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep. With my face to the ground, and he touched me and made me stand up. Verse 19. And he said, Behold, I will make known to you what it shall be uh, at the latter end of the indignation. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. Verse 20. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these two kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn. Uh, Between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. Guess what happens to Alexander the Great's kingdom? Who took his kingdom? Not his children, his generals. Four generals. Let the strong take the kingdom. At 33, he's gone, and guess what happens to Greece? Four separate kingdoms. Amazing. Amazing. Because that would be like uh, 300 years away from Daniel's life. It's amazing. Verse 23, and at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face who won, uh, who understands riddles shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. Verse 25, by his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under the land, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken but by no human hand the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now verse 27 and I Daniel was overcome and lay sick for days then I rose and went about the king's business but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it it's a lot to take in isn't it that's a lot of reading and I messed up a couple times proud of you all sticking with me Stephen, you did a great job keeping them verses. Even when I mess up, they're still there. Daniel 8 is is Daniel 7 again. This time it comes with interpretation from Gabriel, the archangel, and what happens still at the end. Daniel says, I still don't know what's going on. Isn't that fascinating? Like Sometimes the things of God defy even explanation from angels. Like Daniel still doesn't know what's going on. Verses 1 to 14 is the vision again. Same meaning, different details. With Babylon on borrowed time, there are now just four kingdoms, three earthly, one eternal. Now here's my question to you. In chapter 8, did we get any of the eternal? Chapter 7, he finishes, and his body is wore out one year into this new king's presidency or this new king's kingship, right? He is absolutely wore out. Year 3, he sees it again. In year 3, there's no vision of blessing or peace or God in control. That is opposite the last two times he has had this vision. So what happens at the end of verse 8? He is what? Broken. Totally sick. Three earthly, one eternal, the Lord of the details, from prophecy to history. God is nudging him. Verses 15 to 26, what do we see? Here's some of the history, and then we get into a little bit of the application here in a minute. The interpretation, 550-ish B.C., right? This vision is being doled out to Daniel 550 years B.C. Two-horned goat, one greater Persian. No eastward push. That's amazing. We've talked about that. The ram is also the leopard with wings. Alexander the Great conquered the world in a decade with cunning and speed. Died at 33. Kingdom was given to his four generals. Who took one? Cassander. Who took one? Lysimachus. Who took one? Seleucus. That's a name. That Seleucid empire is going to come up in just a minute. Uh, he ruled Syria. And Ptolemy ruled Egypt. You read on a little further in the passage, and what do you see? The four horns uh, are broken off, and one rises up. One little vicious, vile, nasty horn. That is also a picture of you and I, of the Antichrist to come. One horn rises up, who is Antiochus Epiphanes. He named himself God Manifest. Pretty humble dude, right? God Manifest. He ruled from 175 to 164 B.C. He desecrated uh, the temple and abused the Jews for three and a half years. Do you know Hanukkah, right? Part of Hanukkah is what? The picture of the fulfillment of them throwing off the the, the Seleucid Empire. The Jewish people, he comes in there, he is the one, the, the, he, he sacrifices a pig on the altar to God. He tears down the temple. He desires to be ruled, right? He already named himself the name. Everybody else might, have, might as well follow suit, right? Like, I am God manifest. You will worship me. There will be no offerings. Penalty of death. For three and a half years, that guy is in charge. The Maccabees, you ever heard that? This is the part of Jewish history that we're entering into now. The Maccabean revolt, that happens to kick them out. Part of Hanukkah is, what do they do? They light the candles. Why? Because there was only so much oil, and what do they believe happened? God created a miracle to keep the lights on. That's the part of history that we're in. This guy is a vision to you and I of the Antichrist to come. It even says, says, this one has power not of him, which means it comes from who? Satan. Like, this history is unbelievable. Daniel, two the letter. Gabriel to the letter, like how can Daniel even know that Greece is going to be the next empire, uh, the next empire to rule? And yet Daniel tells him, "Hey, that's going to be the king of Greece. I'm not going to tell you his name because I don't want to show off, but Greece is coming. Amazing, and the detail by which it comes, right? You know they don't fry fries in France; they fry them in Greece. That's a dead joke, huh?" That is a dad joke. I was not going to let that go. That's a good one. It's an awesome dad joke. Love him. Right? Love them. Allison asked me if I'd seen the dog bowl. I didn't even know if he could. Right? Come on. Where y'all at? I had to explain that one to the kids too. I didn't even know he could bowl. That's awesome. There is a lot of heavy stuff going on in this passage. Okay? The focus at the end of chapter 7. This is what I want to tie together together with you this morning. The focus at the end of chapter 7 is the kingdoms. Daniel says, I wanted to know what was going on, but I didn't have access to it. The focus at the end of chapter 8 is, I wanted to know what was going on. I'm grieved deeply. I'm sick. I'm laying in bed like this guy is a go-getter. He is high up in the kingdom. There are things that have to be done, and he is the one required to it. So guess what? He can't stay sick that long. But man, it is pointed out that he is physically ill with the amount of pressure, of spiritual pressure that has been applied. That's what I want you to understand today. Jesus gives us a reminder, like we've talked about these kingdoms now for three weeks. It should be a surprise for you that I stand up here today and say the word of God is really cool. Like the Lord nailed it. You Check, 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 check. Unbelievable. There's names, there's dates attached. You and I are watching God work. And yet, if you know the Christmas story, it doesn't surprise you because he did the same thing with Jesus. Come from Bethlehem. Right? From this lineage. Now, what really gets swirly is when you start talking about the time frame. And later on in the book of Daniel, we'll talk about that. There is actually a time frame attached to when the Messiah would be here. And guess what? He hit that too. Unbelievable. It shouldn't be a surprise that we stand here and say that. What should be a surprise this morning is that one of the most godly men the world has ever known is physically frustrated to the point, he's stressed, he's ill to the point of focusing on not God's kingdom. He's focusing on the kingdoms of the world. I'm not saying he's wrong, he's in the middle of something special. But just because he is doing that, there is an issue that comes with that. All of this pressure and no hope. All of this pressure looking around, seeing what's going on in the world, seeing what's going to come. And all of that is pushing one of the most godly men ever to live sick in his bed. What do you think it does to me and you? What do you think when you and I are focusing in on the wrong things? What do you think it does to me and you? Verse 27, his focus, his frustration. Our focus becomes what consumes us or what we consume. A steady diet of worldly influence and worldly chaos will create in us what we're staring at. A steady diet of worldly influence will create in us temptation and desire for things that we should not desire. But it's just there because of the time spent dealing in the things of the world. Now, a, 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 a preoccupant with the worldly chaos will make us what? Worry. Oh, my goodness. See what happened to China? See what Russia's doing? Like when this stuff is playing over and over and over. Oh, my goodness. Have you seen D.C.? Place the mess. See Charleston? That place a mess, too. No offense, Dean. We love you. Doing the Lord's work, buddy. You've seen Charles Sesson? just like, oh my goodness, just focused here, focused there. Man, the news had this on it. Oh my goodness, right? I'm getting prayer requests. How about that one, man? The missionaries are blowing up your email with stuff that needs to happen. It's all true. It's all good. But guess what? If that becomes my focus, what creeps into my system? Worry. It's ugly cousin fear. If I get outside of, of remembering what God has told me to focus on, Philippians chapter 4 says this. Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's only if your circumstances are good, though. You don't, have to, you don't have to apply that scripture if things just aren't going your way today. Okay, Don't rejoice in the Lord. Just kind of grumble a little bit. Get upset. Get frustrated. Deal with that. Let that sow seed right? until it bears bitterness and anger and rage. Just let that stuff go on. As long as your circumstances are good, you can rejoice in the Lord always. Right, But if you have to change cars before vacation, you feel free to kick the tire and just try not to hit the rim right, or the fender. That was me like three weeks ago. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always would have been a good one to hit me in that moment. It didn't. I'm very thankful I didn't dent my car when I decided to kick it out of frustration because we had packed, and now we were going to be late because we had to swap cars right, for the car that we bought so we could drive on trips and not have to worry about it breaking down. That's how we travel. No, to all of you all, if you ever asked to go anywhere with us, right? You better have a vehicle big enough to tote all of us around like the Auburns found out because they did. And Don't tell the cops in Columbus it wasn't all on the up and up, you know what I'm saying. Me and Allison might have been sitting in the floor. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. When times are good, absolutely, that's easy. When times are hard, you better be. It's going to be the only thing that protects your heart. It is going to be the only thing that protects your heart. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything but prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. See, if you have an issue, you're allowed to take them to Him. You don't have to rejoice like a doofus like your head is stuck in the sand and you don't know what's going on and your life really isn't hard and you really don't have issues. You don't have to rejoice like they don't matter. God is saying rejoice and then bring them into me. Bring your grief into me. Sometimes the only thing you have to rejoice over is that you can actually walk in there and talk to him, spiritually speaking. You can walk into the God of the universe and say, I'm a mess. Or you can just walk in and cry. That's all you got. But the requirement is to rejoice, and the requirement is to bring your issues to Him. You're not being weak. You're not being selfish. You're doing the godly thing. Dad, I need you. How many of you fathers in here would be deeply insulted if your kids had something going on, or your kids' friends had something going on and they didn't bring it to you? How many of you would be deeply insulted? Would you like to raise your hand on that one so your kids can see it? deeply insulted, you got an issue you can't fix, and you didn't call me, I am 41 years old, my dad still gets mad when I, don't, when I fix something on my own, still gets mad, even though I know he's exhausted and he ain't got the time to come up. he still gets mad when I bring up, oh, we worked on this, like, well, you didn't call me, well, probably should have, probably been fixed right if I would have called you, but we got it done, probably been fixed right in half the time if I'd have called you, but the requirement is to rejoice, but it's not to rejoice like an idiot, Oh, nothing's wrong, right? Everything's good. No, 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 no. You bring that to me. And the peace of God, what happens when you and I walk in with those requests? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, listen, what should you and I be dwelling on daily? What should we be staring at? What should we be ingesting daily? It looks like this. Whatever is true, right? Whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy, think about these things. Let me give you something contemporary right now that has terrified me for the last week. Do you know the number one thing watched on Netflix? Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not condemning anybody that's watching it. I'm telling you to be careful. I'm telling you to be careful. We are consuming, and that's not the only thing out there, right? It's not the only Just this week, that broke the record for hours watched. People watching the story, the documentary of Jeffrey Dahmer. Trap people, murder people, kill people, eat people. And that's what we're ingesting. What's the fruit of that going to be? Friends, when we turn on, you turn on that phone, you turn on that TV, you are inviting demonic influences in. And I know some lady got in trouble all over Facebook for saying that they were casting a spell on you in the Hocus Pocus movie. I'm not going that far, but I am going to tell you this. You're inviting those influences into your home, your mind, and your heart. And if you don't believe that, I'm sorry, then go figure it out for yourself. Scripture says you and I are inviting those things into our home, our mind, and our heart, and they will bear fruit. At a bare minimum, as a Christian with the Holy Spirit sitting there, he should be grieved. Man, we should be watching this. Right? And it goes further than that. It's fiction, too. But, man, that Jeffrey Dahmer thing threw me off. It was like 300 million hours of people watching that in a week. Like, we are are ingesting things that are not... True, honorable, just, commendable, holy, pure. And then we wonder why we're so chaotic, frantic, and 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 spastic. Why is my heart so unsettled? Right? Like, your diet's bad. Right? Like, why are these things happening to me physically? Your diet's bad. Why are these things happening to me spiritually? It's bad. This is what you're feeding constantly to yourself. And if it's nothing more than just worry. You can't fix the world's problems. You know, who you, you know what you can do? You can fix your home, make your bed. I like Jordan Peterson, right? He hammers young people that want to fix the world's problems, and he's like, you don't even make your bed. Come talk to me when you make your bed, right? I love the other one i would seen before, too. It so says, everybody wants to save the world, but nobody wants to what? Change the toilet paper. That, that, that would work, too. Nobody wants to help mom with the dishes. Everybody, right? Everybody wants to change the world. Nobody wants to help mom with the dishes. Nobody wants to make their bed. Nobody wants to take a look in the mirror, right? Us being worried and fearful and watching Russia and watching China and watching all this other stuff and get it, letting that stuff just, just churn our spirits, you can't fix it. You can't help it. And nobody's reading your Facebook posts, mine neither. Nobody's reading Twitter. They're not, they don't care what you have to say, right? Joe Biden's not reading your Twitter account, I promise. He doesn't care what your foreign policy experience is. You know who does care? Your children. Your neighbor might enjoy some of your interaction too. Your church definitely needs it, man. we got stuff going on here. We tell you the prayer requests before we get started, man. we got folks here that are fostering kids. You know, if we were just to kind of tithe out our time on the phone, we could probably carve in some time for some real people. We could probably show up at some real houses and have some real meals. You and I are to be focusing in on things that are blessings, loving real people, loving a real God. Daniel's secret is our advice. Daniel's secret was what kept him sturdy the whole time was his truth, the truth that he knew, the faith that he applied, and it kept him focused. There was so much pressure around him that it kept him focused. The only thing that could shake him was a vision God gave him. Nebuchadnezzar's dream didn't shake him. Being thrown in the lion's den didn't shake him. The only thing that shakes him is the vision that God gives him for the future. That is the only thing that is wrecking him. And in that moment, what does he see? The world's chaos play out in one dream. Now, I can't even offend my wife in her dreams, and she doesn't wake up mad at me. That's a joke. Come on, guys, where you at? Daniel's seeing all of future history play out. And he's crushed. What's missing in these last two passages is the kingdom of God being seen in those things. Focus on the good things and the future will be laid out by a good and holy God as we go. In essence, you really have no future. Do you understand that? You have a plan and then you have an idea of what you think is going to happen. You have no future. You have right now you have the rest of this day, and then you'll wake up tomorrow, maybe, right? And you'll have another day. That's it. Our plans and our future need to be held in subjection to the truth of God, a God that is working all things out for His glory and your blessing. That's Romans 8, 28. That is unbelievable. But the idea that you and I are waking up every day and we got plans for 40 or 50 years, it's really setting us up for failure. Why? Because anything that shakes that plan 10 or 20 years out gives me a headache. Makes me worry. Right? Worried about your retirement? Some of you are 10 or 15 years out? Watching that 401K? Right? I say, man, that's not funny. It's not. But it's real life right now. What are you going to do about it? I mean, do you trust that God's going to be there when you're 75 providing your needs? Or do we think that if I don't get this done, I am going to be in a mess forever? One more reminder from Jesus himself. One more reminder from Jesus. Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. What do they love? They don't love prayer. They love to pray. Let that one churn on you for a little bit. They don't love prayer. They love to pray. And as somebody stands up here every day and leads everybody in prayer, it's hard to even read that. They don't love prayer. They love to pray for people to see it, to hear it, to applaud it to enjoy it, for they stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners, that they may be seen by others, truly I say to you, they have received their reward, and when they pray, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask. Pray then like this, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. Now, we're not going to jump into the terrifying aspect of that last part. You can read it. You just read it. You understand. Christian people should be the most forgiving people in the world. It doesn't mean you're entering into relationships with people that are not safe and cannot be trusted. That doesn't mean that. What that means is you are releasing judgment out of your life and into the hands of God. We are to forgive. And if somebody asks for it, do not Run from giving it, because there will come a day you and I will only beg for one thing, mercy, forgiveness, grace. We will not beg for judgment. What I want you to see is verse 11. Give us today, give us today, give us today. The pattern of which you and I are to pray, right, looks something like this. We enter with praise, right? Father holy be your name. Man, you are good. You are awesome. We are thankful just to even know you. Then what? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you and I need to do? We need to ask to join the mission. If God puts you on his mission, you won't have to pray for your own needs anymore. It's one of the most freeing things that's ever been handed to me. If I am on his mission, I can stop praying about all the things that I am worried about. Stop praying about that stuff. Man, Lord, just put me in what position brings you the most glory? What position can you put me in that helps the most people, that blesses the name of Jesus? And then all of a sudden, I'm not worried about my stuff anymore. I don't have to be. It's his job to fulfill my needs. Humbly ask to join the mission. Acknowledge, humbly acknowledge his dominion and his sovereignty. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. Be in the moment. Daniel is looking out, looking forward, seeing all this stuff take place. And it's grieving his soul. You and I are doing the same thing. We're looking out. We're looking forward. We're seeing this. We're seeing that. And it's grieving our soul. We're losing track of the right now. Lord, give us today our daily bread. Not having to pray that in America for a long time is not bearing good fruit. Right? It's made us self-sufficient. It's made us a little too worried about what's to come and a little too absent from the moment we're in. Give us today our daily bread. And then, what is verse verse 12? Be a partaker of grace. You need it, now you give it. I need grace, Lord, and now I want to give it. I need forgiveness, Lord, now let me give it. I need mercy, Lord, let me give it. Okay? And then, humbly acknowledge a need for your protection and spell check. Right? (laughs) Humbly respond to God. I need your protection. My mind, my heart, I need your protection. My life, I need your protection. Right? Protect me, Lord. Take care of me today. Take care of my family. Take care of those around me. And if for some reason the answer to that prayer looks a little different than what you had anticipated, then you're right into Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good. Then love God and are called according to His purpose. I woke up today. I prayed this. It looked like this. Okay, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? Help me to understand. You and I need to focus. Where are we focusing? As they come this morning to finish up in a time of music, in a time of, of thought, in a time of prayer, in a time of just, just dealing with yourself, right? Where's our focus? Is your focus on the future? There is a difference between making a plan and having a preoccupation. Do you understand the difference? I am fixated on what's to come, and if my person come through, I think it's going to be very good. That's kind of what we say. That's kind of the idea that we have. Having a plan is one thing. Letting God interrupt your plan means you're doing it in the proper way. Like you think God didn't know the stock market was going to dip by 7,000 points? 2009, man, had a couple guys that I worked with, right? They were getting right on the cusp of retirement, and that totally changed the rest of their life. What do you do with that? Do you wake up bitter every day until you die? Okay, Lord. Something about what I had planned was not going to be good for me or my family. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And they're not here this morning, so I can say this, but do you know when it's really wild to hear somebody say that when you turn around and their house is on fire? Because that was the first thing Glenna said to me the day I showed up at their house. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ooh, man. You fixated on the past? Christian, if you're fixated on the past, you are ignoring good theology. Are you worried about the things you've messed up and the things you can't fix? Is is the devil pummeling you with that? That is a temptation for you to bite off of so that you can nullify the work of Jesus Christ. There's a big jump there. Well, I just thought I was feeling guilty about some of the things that I've done in the past. No, you are making a mockery of what Jesus did on the cross because you think whatever you did trumps what he did because you're listening to the devil. Are you preoccupied with the past that you can't grow, you can't mature? You're frustrated about what you did or what was done to you? It's bad theology. God is at work. Are you and I focusing in on evils, the chaos, or the entertainment of now? Depressed, frantic, right? We're going to become like those things. If you're focused in on the evils, you're going to get depressed. If you're focused in on the chaos, you're going to get frantic. You're going to try to do and move and and move this and do that and try to fix this. If you're focusing in on entertainment, we're going to get silly and wasteful. Silly and wasteful. Your time is your greatest commodity. You'll never get it back. You can't buy it back. What will be the outcome? We're going to look like what we consume. Or are we pouring ourselves in the goodness of now, the goodness of right now, the goodness of family, the goodness of church, the goodness of real people, loving somebody, hugging somebody, helping somebody? That is real. It is eternal. Jesus said not not a glass of water given in my name was going to disappear. That's how important real people are to him. Are you and I focusing in on that? Are we teaching our kids to do it? Right? It's a protection of the heart to operate in hope and prayer as God has directed us to do. You see, there's a lot of things that want to rob you, and the warning is there, but it's also a prescription. How do I get out of it, Lord? focus in on what's true, honorable, good, holy, in prayer, loving God, and trusting Him for your future. Would you stand this morning? If you need something, you come. If you're worried about something, I'm begging you, lay it down. Lay it down. Lay it down. You're being robbed of minutes. You're never going to get back. Worried about something that God is either going to take away, He's going to fix, or He's going to make you strong enough to deal with it.